right, guys, just in case you get lost on the mountain, there exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tan Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. And you might notice in my voice, I'm still uh, uh, packing around this uh, this chest cold thing. It may surprise some of you to know that uh, there are still just regular old colds out there, <laughs> and, and I've got one. And so uh, it's a weird one, too, because, like, I, I feel fine, but you could totally hear it in my voice, and I'm coughing a lot. So um, bear with me through that. I, I apologize, but uh, hopefully we'll be back. I, I've been down on the vitamin C and D and everything else trying to get rid of this thing, but it's uh, it's still lingering around. So um, a quick announcement before I get into this episode. Uh, I'm not totally sure what this conversation, how it exactly went, but it was brought up at some point that... A uh, cell cam, you know, a, a a game camera that can that that texts you in real time the pictures that, that it's taken can satisfy the in particular Idaho state law of checking your traps every 72 hours. You guys know I got a good buddy down in um, uh, kind of central south central Idaho um, that is a game warden, Stephen uh, Steve Roberts, and he's been on the show, and I called him up this last weekend and I asked him for some clarification on that and and it turns out that that is a uh, a fairly common discussion point within the agency uh, where they where they want to address that and and just so you guys know in the state of Idaho trappers uh, the the cell camera does not satisfy the law to check every 72 hours it does not satisfy that law you've you've still got to physically go out and uh, and check your traps and it it makes sense because uh, I know some of these I've got a really good set of set of these cell cams uh, the Tacticam reveals and and they do a really good job but even as good as they are they can still miss stuff um, they can malfunction and you just think nothing's going on and maybe you're not even getting the check-in pictures or or whatever the case is or maybe you know let's say you got it on a wolf trap and uh, that that wolf snags on uh, snags his leg on that trap and and maybe kind of cuts out of the corner of, of the vision of the camera or, or whatever the case is that the point being there's a million things that can happen and I wasn't sure if this needed clarification or not but I know I've talked to a lot of people who are under the impression that that uh, that cell cam can satisfy the law uh, for checking your traps and and it, it cannot however that said um, getting you getting you a couple of these cell cams, especially the you guys know I'm 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 a big fan of Tacticam and the Tacticam reveal cameras. I've got them all over my property. Uh, I'm like addicted to these things. Uh, in fact, I got some elk uh, showing up yesterday on on one of my back cameras. So um, they are still very handy to have out there. Like if you let's say you just checked your trap this morning 
and an hour ago, a wolf uh, happened happened upon it and is stuck there. Uh, instead of him being there for two or three days, you know immediately uh, that you've got a wolf and you can go get him, or you know bobcat or mountain, whatever you're trapping. Uh, so, anyways. Just wanted to point that out there for for clarification. I I, I don't want ever to be held responsible for uh, giving people wrong information in terms of laws and and rules and regulations in in terms of hunting and trapping. So hopefully that helps you guys um, and clarifies it. And again, guys, that is just for Idaho. I I am not sure. I've not verified that one way or the other in any other state. So that is just for uh, my Idaho peeps. So this week... um, we are going to be having a conversation kind of centered around uh, search and rescue and, and getting, you know, just being generally safe out in the back country. Uh, I've got a past guest on, Mr. Mike Cooper. Uh, Mike, did I say your last name right there, buddy? Yes, you did. Okay, just making sure. Uh, I always I always do that. I say somebody's name and then it like pops into my head. Oh, no, did you pronounce that right? Because I, I hate it when I, I mispronounce somebody's name, unless it's Guy Duplanchier, then I don't mind uh, mispronouncing his name. So, Mike, you are with the uh, Rifle Colorado Police Department and the County Search and Rescue. Is that correct? That is correct. And you, I, we had you on. Uh, you were on that adult onset hunting episode, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. From from like a year ago. Was that a year? Yeah, but, or was that two yeah. years? No, it was just over a year, probably like 13 months or so. Yeah, I think it was January of 2021, I, I think. Um, yep. Yeah, that was a fun episode, man. And I, I, I know we talked about bringing you back on, and it took me a little longer than I thought, but I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. So um, you're in Rifle, Colorado, and give us a little history on your, your career real quick uh, where in terms of law enforcement, where you're at and, and how, how long you've been doing it and where you're at today. Sure. So I've been uh, in law enforcement for about 21 years um, with the Rifle Police Department uh, primarily. I worked for a short time uh, for the Eagle County Sheriff's Office before getting hired here in my in you know where I live. Um, I worked through patrol. I was on a multi-jurisdictional SWAT team for for several years. Sweet. Uh, and then yeah, it was it was uh, some great experience, um, and it kind of it kind of led me into into. Uh, search and rescue uh, because when I, when I got promoted to a, a sergeant I was kind of a field supervisor and I just didn't have the time to dedicate to the tactical team uh, and anymore and it was you know the, the physical conditioning requirements were, were I'm not a young man and I so it was, <laughs> it was really challenging for me you know so I ended up leaving the team and uh, just working through uh, I was several years as a patrol sergeant a detective sergeant and then just over here in uh, last spring, I got promoted to to lieutenant with the department. But after I um, after I had left the the SWAT team, you know, we did a lot of training, a uh, lot of lot of. It was just a very. Uh, I really was attracted to that team environment. And when mm-hmm. I left, it, something that uh, that I was that I definitely missed. And uh, I've I've been you know, always an avid backpacker and spending a lot of time with a lot of rock climbing, things like that in the backcountry. So I, I, uh, kind of, kind of started, started looking around at our local search and rescue team and ended up joining that. And, uh, just up until this past year, I, I've got to think about 11 years on in the past four, I've was the vice president of that team. I'm, I'm always so intrigued with folks that choose careers in law enforcement. It's, it's a, it's such a like it's a unique thing. It's you guys are such a minority 
Uh, and there's always like this higher sense of duty and higher sense of calling uh, th- that, uh, I mean, because let's, let's face it, it's not something that's going to make you rich, right? Um, right. And and there's there's a lot of respect that comes from that. And I know you, I've had I've had a few folks in the past that are that are law enforcement, including you on the show. Uh, and I, I, I hope that I articulate that right, that uh, I, I appreciate what you do. Um, it's not an easy career choice. You guys uh, can take a lot of flack. Uh, but, Mike, I do have a hot tip for you. Uh, it, like, this could be the Crime Stopper uh, podcast right here. Be- All right. Okay, because c- you're in Rifle, right? Yes. All right. So, there is a newcomer to Colorado just up the road from you. His name is Guy Duplanchier. I mentioned him earlier. And he's nothing but trouble. And I've got a, I, if you put a bolo out, he's got a silver Dodge Ram. And he's, you just, if you see him, just assume he's speeding and give him a good old-fashioned Colorado welcome with a nice speeding ticket. We got a deal? Yeah, I, I think I might have heard about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee he's probably, he's probably wearing Birkenstocks driving that truck. Probably still has <laughs> California plates on that thing. And, uh, you know, not to mention, he, you don't drive a Dodge, do you? Uh, nope. Okay, good, good, good. Because he does, and uh, that's trouble as it is. That's that's enough for a ticket. I think people that drive a Dodge truck should just get pulled over and get a ticket and get hassled anyway, but that's just my opinion. So, <laughs> there you go, guy. That's why I was asking what kind of truck you, you're driving. <laughs> um, Mike, so I, and I don't know if I told you this when uh, when you were on last time, so my my grandpa's from Colorado. I think I did. My he's from uh, Rifle, Colorado. Yeah, I think you did mention that. Can you give us an idea for listeners that have, that have never in been in that area, just so we can kind of get a a visual on what kind of you know backcountry surrounds that area and that region, the county that you're serving on the on the search and rescue teams. Um, what what is the what is the terrain like? What does it look like there? So it's really diverse. Uh, the city of Rifle is is fairly central. Um, we're the we're the largest. This according to this past census, the highest populated municipality in in Garfield County. Uh, but we're most probably uh, noted for Glenwood Springs. That's where the county seat is, and the Hot Springs Sunlight Mountain Ski Resort. All that stuff is is about 30 miles to the east. Uh, of rifle so overall the county touches the utah border at its westernmost boundary um and is pretty deep into into uh the rocky mountains and towards the continental divide on its eastern boundary um and our terrain around rifle it's anywhere like where i live uh it's high kind of high desert yeah but rapidly into um into you know the flat tops wilderness area, uh, grand chunk of Grand Mesa, these big, uh, big mesas, and and I think probably up into the twelve thousand foot range of, of elevation. Um, so pretty, some pretty remote spots and uh, a, a lot of rugged terrain and a lot of diverse terrain. Yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm looking at it on on uh, Google Earth here. Um, it does, especially north of you there, looks pretty pretty damn desolate out there. Um, high high mountain timber kind of stuff, and uh, you got the Colorado River coming right through, right? 
Yep, yep, that runs. Oh, there it is. Yeah, east to west runs right through the through the middle of, of uh, my little slice of heaven here in Rifle. Yeah, uh, guys over in Newcastle. Uh, I don't know if that's your jur- jurisdiction, but um, just a, a, another hot tip for you. But so you're not very far from the Utah border. Oh no, you, ju- you drop down. Let's see. We're. Uh, I would say we're probably hour and a half ish. Uh, Grand Junction is uh, is to the west. That's in a Mesa County, but that's about an hour away, and then. I would say about another 20 to 30 minutes um, to the Utah border. Gotcha, gotcha. I used to I hunted an area once in Utah in that Bitter Creek area that I, I remember the, the dude I was with, I didn't know this at the time, but the dude I was with saying, told me that we were right on the Colorado line there. So anyway, um, and, and the reason for that is, you know, this isn't like, because I, I think um, – Colorado is like two places. You've got the the Colorado Rocky Mountain region, and then you've got the prairie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah completely. And so I, I just wanted to clarify that aspect of it because a lot of people that listen to this show and, and kind of what we're going to be centered around uh, or in this discussion is is going to be, you know, hunters that go into these mountainous regions and and potentially they're they're going to get injured or they're going to get lost or you know, things of that nature and how they can avoid or protect themselves in the event, you know, things like that. Um, when we we go back to talking to kind of about your background, um, what was it, you, you'd mentioned, you know, you're, you're a hiker, uh, you, you've been a backpacker, a rock climber, um, you've been hunting for a few years now. Um, was there, what was a draw to search and rescue in particular? Was there, was there something that was it the team that you missed from being on the SWAT team kind of thing or? Yeah, that was, I think, uh, you know, in looking back at it, that was, uh, really a primary, a primary drive for me to get on, um, as well as meeting, you know, you meet a lot of, you kind of, you kind of gravitate, it's like people that shoot archery league, right? You, you kind of gravitate to want to hang around with people that have some similar interests. So, sure. uh, so at the time when I got on our search and rescue team, I wasn't, I really wasn't hunting. Um, I'd kind of hadn't hunted a bunch. I hunted when I was a kid, but then I had like a, a, you know, a very long lapse. You know, you work for places when you're the low man on the totem pole, you know, keep in mind where I live and, and have always lived is lots of people hunt. So if when you're the low man on the totem pole, you can just forget about getting any time off during yeah. hunting. So, <laughs> so it kind of paints you into it, you know, so I just, I didn't, I didn't hunt for a long time. Um, but I got, uh, you know, involved with the team here and, uh, you know, got met people that were, you know, wanted to go rock climbing. I got into ice climbing, um, just a handful of those types of activities. Uh, but, I found myself uh, with our peak rescue season was 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 hunting season. That's when we were uh, that's when we were the busiest. Um, so when I started hunting, I had like I, I you know I'm a avid I love podcasts and you know I'm a big fan of uh, I'd mentioned it on our last one of of the Kafaru cast you know and yeah and, yeah uh, I heard, you know the woodsmanship and I. I uh, listen to what those guys are doing. I'm like, yeah, you know, that just that message definitely uh, needs to get out there. Um, just you know, ha- you know, having some knowledge. Like the smarter you are, the less you have to carry, <laughs> sort of a mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. And then just having some, you know. But I, I was just seeing like mistakes people were making, um, maybe some errors in judgment, and some things that are just plain unavoidable that you just have to 
you know, that you need to have like some contingency plans for. So, uh, and then I, and then here just a handful of years ago, I picked up a bow and uh, just really, really got bit by the, by the bow hunting bug and, and been doing that ever since. How, how'd your season go this last year? Uh, well, it was, it, I didn't get anything on the ground, but I, um, it was kind of strange. I had, I had a change in leadership at work. Our, our, uh, my former chief of police was moved into the city manager's position. So I was serving as the interim chief. So I couldn't take my, my normal two weeks off in September. I had to, I was oh, able to do man. it, but I split up. So I took the first week off and I've never been a big, I know a lot of people are about opening day and, and it might be good. Uh, I think it's, I think it's area specific because I've not had totally really any luck here and so i went i ended up having to go out on opening day and it, it was just really bad rained and rained and just tough weather i didn't get into anything and then i worked the next two weeks and the last week i went out uh the weather was good um there was no one out in where I, where i was hunting it was it was you know all to myself and i was able to call in a nice bull um to i got him to about 50 yards but it just, I just couldn't get him to, he, I couldn't get him to stop where he, where his vitals were clear, where I could uh, slide an arrow through. Uh, so I, I didn't ah, spook that's frustrating. it. frustrating. Oh, it was, it was, and it's the first time I'd ever, I'd called in a spike uh, before, but it was the first time I actually got a, uh, a mature bull that came in and he came in with two, he had two cows, but I didn't get busted. Uh, I, um, they saw, they saw me, but I just froze and they went back to feeding and I just waited and he ended up just feeding off. And I, I, I thought rather than push it and chase him away, I could come back and try to, you know, that evening or the next day and try to get him back where I had a little bit better shooting lanes. Uh, and but I, when I went back, I just, I, I called and called and looked around and could never, never turn him up again. So, uh, oh, but man. Like every year I get a little bit closer. So yeah, that's how it, that's how it, that's the progression, man. No, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. I, that there's nothing more frustrating when you're so close, but so far away. And, and sometimes when you're, it's so far away, what that means is it's like a less than a pencil shape or size diameter, you know, limb, or, or, a, you know, just something stupid like that. I, and it's, it's super frustrating, but it's, I guess that's why they call it hunting. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, the, the only time he would, he stopped, it was like straight head on. And it's like, man, that's way too far for me to try to try a, a frontal the shot. Frontal, yeah. Yeah. So I just, I let him just keep moving around and, uh, um, thinking I'd get, eventually he'd get, I'd get a broadside or he'd get a little closer, but, uh, it just, it just never happened. Um, I think I, I think I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself for not, not trying to push a, a bad position. And I, I just figured that, you know, uh, I think he, I, I, I've, I've heard him bugle. He's got a very, very distinctive bugle. So I've heard him bugle in that area before, even last season. Uh-huh. Uh, I yep. heard him because he, he really, he just mostly chuckles with just a little bugle at the start. I'm really distinctive. Huh. So I thought, ah, you know, he'll, he'll still be here. Um, and then, uh, you know, my, uh, my neighbors, the, the game warden, and he's probably just sick of me because I was pestering, Hey, didn't we get that bull up for the next two months? <laughs> I was texting uh, <laughs> him every day. Did, did anybody check that bull in when, when up in that area? And so, uh, we'll, we'll see, hopefully, so, hopefully get another crack at him next year. So your, your gut feeling and, and based on what the neighbor says, it sounds like that bull made it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. For the second year in a row, it's kind of a little, uh, it's kind of a little uh, sanctuary spot where they get a lot of pressure from several different directions, um, but yep. nobody yep. 
pushes in that far as far as I've been going in. Cause, you know, I'm a backpack hunter, so nobody just pushes into that particular spot. So. You know, they're, those kind of areas, when you find them, you, you've got to latch onto them. I, I have an area just like what you're describing. And in fact, Dad, the, the audience has heard me drone on about this this bull that I almost shot this last year when my, my bow got caught up in my uh, my camera. And that spot, and I, 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 I don't know if I've talked about it much or not, is exactly what you're saying. Everybody, There's, there's a lot of pressure around this area, but for some reason, this particular little mountain you know it's kind of more of a hill than a mountain in in my opinion but it, it gets missed by hunters and i actually found it because i was whitetail hunting and uh, uh came across a bunch of elk one time so anyway the, i i there is a bull up there that i have been messing with for th- this will be the third year and i know he's still alive um and it's one of those, and I'm, what I guess what I'm trying to say is for people listening, you, you want to try to find these kind of little sanctuary spots that Mike's talking about. Uh, for example, the, the, the spot I'm talking about is kind of in between two big mountain ranges. Well, I don't know if that's the right way to explain it. It's in between two areas where people put a lot of pressure in and they drive by it. Mike, you're talking about like a back, you're more of a backcountry kind of guy. Uh, because I, I think Colorado lends itself to that a lot better than than like northern Panhandle Idaho does, uh, but uh, but in my case, everybody drives by this spot um, and and doesn't think anything about it. And so anyway, great spots. The, those are great areas that uh, when you when you find a bull in those areas, you're gonna find him there like every year. Um, so yeah, that's, he'll, he'll be there next year, man. I'm, I'm excited. I, I can't wait to hear how that plays out because I feel like a third time's going to be a charm for you. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited for September to roll around. Yeah, me too. Me too. I was just looking at pictures from this, this last year. I, I took my daughters out a bunch last year and got some really good pictures of, of, uh, just hanging out with them and tagging along, you know, and, um, uh, what a difference. So I'm really looking forward to it. Now you guys, you guys don't have a spring bear hunt, do you? No, uh, we, we, man, I was, I was still a, a teenager when we, when we lost our, our spring bear, which is super, super unfortunate. And I'm actually going up to BC here in, in May and doing a bear hunt up there. Oh, really? Yeah. Are yep. you going to, are you going to do that as a bow hunt? Yep. Nice. Nice, man. I, I do. Can they bait up there? I don't know. I don't know if they it. do. I, I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and do, I'm going up with primitive, uh, and they do, all spot and stock so man you you and my buddy nate would be like pretty good friends he's he's all about the trad bow stuff man he killed a huge bear last year um and obviously mike if you ever want to just come up to north idaho and hunt bear just hit me up we got we got bunches of them man i'm excited i'm excited for this year i got i'm gonna be i'll have like three barrel sets so um yeah gonna be good You, you can do spring turkey though right Yep, uh, I, I'm I'm gearing up. I was actually setting up some arrows uh, last night for uh, for for turkey season. So, nice. uh, and I really enjoy that too. It's because uh, I can hunt very very close to my where I live, so I can day hunt. I can get out early in the morning, and I mean it's just I don't have to go very far. We got yeah. uh, we got rip of wild turkeys. That 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 uh, that program has, has done quite well around yeah. here at least. I feel like it's done well everywhere. <laughs> We've got more yeah. turkeys than we know what to do with. Um, yeah, yeah. They're fun. Hunt. I, I mean, a lot of guys don't don't care much for it, but uh, man, I, I, I enjoy it. 
I don't, I, well, I feel like the, the people that don't put a lot of stock into it haven't done it seriously or something, or maybe they have, and it's just not their thing, which is totally fine. But man, turkey hunting's a ball. Um, yeah. I love getting those things just fired up and they, they come in like crazy. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I, ours doesn't open until April 15th. I feel like it sucks because about mid-March rolls around and I start seeing the rest of the country. Everybody's posting pictures of their, their turkey hunts and we're sitting up here in Idaho and it doesn't open until the 15th of April. I feel like we're the last ones in the country to, to have it open up. What is it open for you guys? Yeah, we're not far off. I believe it's around the 9th or something of April. Uh, oh, okay. Know, but it's it's about the same. But, you know, truly here, at least this year, uh, we've got – it's been cold and a good and a, there's a decent amount of snow on the ground so a lot of the birds are are pushed down low onto private so yeah, yeah. i think holding out for that next uh holding out for that next month is just going to make it better yeah for sure well good luck with all those hunts man i'm, I'm really excited to see how that one in uh, up in bc goes in may uh that'll be way cool you'll you'll email me pics right um yeah for sure uh let's talk about like with when it comes to search and rescue, can you can you just like briefly explain the function as obvious as that may sound? Um, explain the function of a search and rescue and how it is operated from a you know like a volunteer standpoint. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there. And, and again, this, what I can speak to is specific to Colorado. Most other states are very, very similar and very close in how they're, they're structured, but there might be some nuanced differences there. But in Colorado, they're uh, a function of the sheriff's office. Um, and the, so, so while that's the sheriff's office oversees it, they're the ones that get dispatched when a search and rescue call comes in. You know, the, to, to try to staff up a search and rescue team is would be extremely difficult for a, a sheriff, you know, a sheriff's to, to do with all the other responsibilities that sure. they wind up doing. But they, by and large, will have a, a a volunteer component with a liaison to the sheriff's office. Uh, part of the part of the attachment to the sheriff's office comes from. So when you buy a hunting license in Colorado, for example, you there's a 25 cent SAR tax or a fee that goes on there. That that goes to search and rescue teams, but it doesn't go to the one in the county where you're affected. Like I buy a tag here, that 25 cents isn't earmarked for Garfield County. It goes into a larger state run pot of money that's administered by the Department of Local Affairs. And then through the sheriff's office, we put in for uh, our, a portion of that, uh, those funds each year for either equipment or, or training. So, mm -hmm. uh, so we work really closely with the, with the sheriff's office um, on that, but the team members themselves are, are, uh, are, you know, at least in my team and most of the ones in Colorado, they're all volunteer. All of our personal gear that we buy, by and large, the team will maybe furnish a jacket, uh, things like that. But but the majority of your personal gear, you you uh, you know, purchase yourself, um, and and uh, you 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 work on an on call, effectively an on call basis. So when uh, either a, oh an in reach or spot call goes into a dispatch center or, or a, a family member calls, calls the, our, our countywide dispatch and reports a missing person. It gets aired to the sheriff's department. And uh, effectively the way a call out would work is they'll, 
maybe do a little bit of preliminary investigation. If a, if a trailhead's kind of close, they might go see if the vehicle's there, that kind of thing. And then when they kind of, you know, pretty quickly, they'll, they'll, they really, they'll, determine whether this is a legit search and rescue mission and they page out you know the the volunteers to to go ahead and respond when when somebody wants to volunteer for a search and rescue uh, a team you know in their own county because that is super similar as to how it is up here in north idaho at least um what what kind of qualifications or uh prerequisites are is a search and team a search and rescue team gosh i'm really fumbling over my words tonight <laughs> what what kind of prerequisites or qualifications are necessary or sought after um it's as far as necessary there really isn't uh, a lot i think for our team you have to be uh you have to be over 18 um and that sort of thing. But there are some things that are sought after. Uh, a lot of that is a lot of that, at least here is, you know, the ability to the ability to uh, uh, with your schedule to be able to respond to, to missions and, and training. But effectively, we train, we bring people in with very, very little. You know, they might have uh, some experience in off roading, you know, four, four wheeling or or they might have horses, something like that. But we mm-hmm. run uh, every two years a, a uh, it's called a SAR technician um, academy. So we, we, we go ahead and do that all in house and train people up. And then we do, uh, we do, we train three Thursdays of the month. There's a, some sort of training going on in one Saturday. So effectively four times a month, uh, so you can really, if you have a person that is, uh, you know, really interested in having a dog, you know, they can, they can join the team. And when it gets in, when the, once they're on the team, they can start really working with the, the canine handlers and working their dog into that, into that group. Or if you're a rafter, you know, we do, uh, we do a lot. We, we, like you said, we have the Colorado river and a chunk of the roaring fork in our, in our County. So we do a lot of, you know, a good handful of river missions. So we do swift water rescue training. We have a, we have a jet drive Zodiac and, and a handful of rafts. So we do quite a bit of, of, uh, swift water stuff. So you can find something if in my case, it was rock, uh, it was rock climbing and, and just backcountry searches. So that's the sort of the arena that I really kind of focused my attention on, uh, with the team. That, and that, I guess that was one of my questions. Uh, what does the training look like? But so these volunteers, they, they attend three to four trainings a month. Is that what you're saying on, on a Saturday? Uh, well, so there's uh, the way our team is set up. We do one Saturday a month and then three Thursdays and two oh, and Thursdays. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. They don't have to attend all of those for us. For example, uh, the technical rescue aspect, uh, as far as high angle and, and steep angle rope work, um, that's a very specialized and perishable uh, skills. So we train that twice a month, uh, just to keep those, uh, those skills very sharp, uh, because they're, they're, they're high risk, you know, high consequence instances. Sure. Uh, so, and then we'll do, uh, one Thursday night training, which is general. Sometimes it will be medical or we'll do some, uh, land navigation stuff. And, and typically we'll try to follow that up with a Saturday, uh, in-service training that will build on that. So if we do map, let's say we do nav navigation. So we'll do a map reading, uh, a map reading classroom session on, on a Thursday evening, uh, get everybody dialed in with that. And then that following Saturday, we might go do a compass course somewhere or go do something out in the field. Um, so God, kind of I try would to love that. I, I would love to, I, I haven't had a refresher with a, like a compass or, or just actual good old fashioned map reading since I was in the military. So, um, 
I, yeah, that would be super interesting to me. Do you, do you have, uh, can you share like a, 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 some story that I think maybe could relate to hunters in terms of something you, maybe you've been called out on, um, the, because I, I, I've been re- I was reading an article a little bit earlier, and it sounds like it's pretty consistently across the West. In 2021, um, activating search and rescue crews through throughout the West has, was up. It was on the on the rise. Uh, for example, one county kind of here in Idaho had 37 calls in 2021, which is up from 29 last year. And that doesn't sound, seem like that that big of a jump, but that's that's actually pretty substantial. Um, there was another one like Teton County search and rescue in Wyoming had more than a hundred calls in 2021 compared to 80 the year before. And I think what's happening is, and as you read further, it kind of, it's, it suggests that yes, the population is growing and more people are going into the back country, but it's not proportionate, uh, to the, to the growth in calls, um, for, for search and rescue. So I'm just, I'm curious if, um, well, before I go down that road, rabbit hole, <laughs> I, I wanted to get back and ask you that that question. Like, what can you give us some uh, real world examples as to some of the calls you've been called out on with the search and rescue team? Yeah, and I, and I have a theory about that other topic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to talk about that. I we'll, we'll circle back to that, but I, I always tend to do that where I ask one question and then I totally throw us in a different direction. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Yeah, my so my first. Uh, my first mission that I fielded on uh, with the team was an archery hunter and his and his wife that had gotten separated, and she had spent um, she had spent at least one full night, and I think maybe two, out in a, just a driving rainstorm, drive just a driving September rain, and he uh, was unable to find find where he he they had been together and he had he had left her and he couldn't find her again. Oh, wow. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, uh, reliance on a cell phone. That's another one of my pet peeves is like re- relying on technology. I think it's great, but I, I, I never want to have to rely on it. And he, you know, he had a cell phone, but there's no cell service. He finally was able to, I think he actually ran into another hunting party that called for him. Um, and we, and we ended up finding her and getting her, uh, life flighted out, uh, through just, she just, she wasn't injured. She was just exposure and, and had been out for quite some time. Uh, uh, and I just, I don't know if she would have made it another night, to be honest. Um, it was, uh, but it was a big mission and we had, um, some mutual aid. We had a couple other, I think we had another team up here with us just because it was, you know, it was on the flat tops and that's a, a, a massive, massive chunk of real estate to 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 work your way through man uh, so, yeah i'll bet so uh and then more recently we had a couple that were hunting in some really steep canyon country elk hunting and rifle season and they took a um kind of a a, a, a close to a last hunting like shot dropped uh dropped an elk down in this canyon bottom um, and when they were hiking down in there, it was these t- terraced, uh, little cliff bands that you kind of had to work your way, work your way through. And at one point it was a, a husband and wife that the husband kind of skipped off one of those terraces and just, it wasn't a huge distance, but kind of just landed hard and blew up the attendants, I believe in both knees, but, uh, there was oh, no getting, man, that hurts just hearing that. 
Yeah. So he and his wife are down in this, in this Canyon bottom. And, you know, we, when I started on the team, air, air assets in our County were very, very, very hard to get. Uh, but in recent years, we've got two air ambulances based out of our area that donate time uh, to fly and search, as well as having the the uh, Army Air National Guard's high altitude training site in Gypsum, which is not that far away. Um, very, very talented and competent pilots out of there. So we are one of the air ambulances flew and we had a I think they had a. We had a, a, a GPS location. I don't know if they sent that via an in-reach or spot or something, but when they were flying over that area, they they quickly realized that there was no place to land. I mean, it was just it's deep, dog hair thick timber uh, country, and there was just no place to land. So our team went in, uh, found them, and uh, we couldn't pack them out either because they were literally in in the bottom. And it's, by this point, it was dark. So our uh, several of our team members spent the night the the wife hiked out uh and we got her back to uh back to her her family <clears throat> and then the next day they ended up calling the army in uh the national guard and they brought in a black hawk and did a hoist were able to hoist the the patient out of the out of the forest and fly into a hospital wow uh so mike I, this might sound like an insensitive question but it it makes i think a lot of people wonder about this and maybe Maybe it's a dumb question, but, you know, people like to listen to my podcast because I'm not afraid to ask dumb questions because I'm not very smart. So um, when in that circumstance, Mike, when when somebody has they you know, they have to call in a helicopter from the National Guard, who pays for that? Is the injured party responsible for for whatever it costs to fly a Black Hawk helicopter in to rescue you or? So as far as the National Guard goes, we have to go through a process and, uh, to get that helicopter. Like a lot of a lot of guys think, well, hey, this is the injury. I'm, I'm competent in the back country. I know this is the injury and I'm calling a helicopter. Well, that isn't going to work because if you call it, you will. You are going to if you call it and you get one, you're going to be paying for it. Uh, when we when we call, for example, it's a couple different processes, but then specifically to the to uh, requesting the Air National Guard because they're a state resource. Uh, and part of their mission statement is to to uh, assist with search and rescues in the state of Colorado. We just go through a very it's a very quick approval process. It's funny that it actually goes through Florida. The, the, the commands. Oh, really? But it's but it's still it's very quick. They ask us some specific questions. You know, what kind of risk do we have? What kind of risk to rescuers? That's something a lot of people don't consider. But, you know, not only risk to the patients, but what, what what's our if we were to try to get this person out? What's the risk to, to, to the rescuers going to yeah. look like? And they weigh that against the risk because there is nothing safe about a helicopter. So, so uh, um, they they kind of we run through that process. Like I said, it's very fast, and they'll um, they'll they'll approve the mission um, and get one and get one in the air. But it's certainly not an it's not an easy button by any stretch because sure, sure. Uh, we do we go through that process. It's the same thing with our air medical. Now they're the way their their funding works. They donate some time to search and rescue, and by and large that time has spent either flying rescuers from point to point um, or lo- flat just locating a uh, locating the victim. But if they do transport that victim to a hospital, uh, they're going to hit the insurance company for the for the for the helicopter. Right. It's no different than it's, it's no different than an ambulance picking you up at the scene of a car car accident or yeah. or uh, a, a falling on a ski mountain um it's no different that ambulance isn't doing that for free and they but they they generally will go they'll hit your insurance company up 
what for what about what about somebody okay the, the same scenario guy falls but you know hurts his uh, hurts his knees or, or whatever can't walk out of there but you can get them out out without a helicopter and and you just need the assistance of the search and rescue teams is that is that a big bill for them or is that covered by insurance or where, where does the funding come from for that the the 25 cents you were talking about or Essentially, uh, essentially that uh, a lot of teams, there are some teams that, that do charge. I believe uh, Grand County, Utah, I've done some training over there. Um, and at least at that time, because, but you, you know, that's Moab. You can, you only imagine yeah. the amount of calls, you know, there's people leaving work on a very regular basis to go, to go pull, pull people out of the back country. But as far as Colorado, I don't think there's any teams here that charge. Uh, it's, it's all volunteer, our equipment and, and fuel and all that stuff is either paid by the volunteers themselves or through reimbursement programs through their County. Uh, lots of donations keep, uh, keep teams afloat, you know, with, uh, with that stuff. So um, when there's a lot of discussion uh, that is, that I've, I've, been present for where they talk about charging and one of the one of the kind of common denominators is once you start charging you'll get people hiding from rescuers yeah uh, because know there's a bill and once they hear the rescuers they'll just try to follow them back out and work their way out on their own without being without being picked up and and uh you know nobody wants that because you you know imagine the resources like i said it gets it gets crazy with the amount of people we push out there we'd rather just find somebody so yeah yeah it's funny you say that because that that was one of my thoughts was, um, you, you know, if I if I was injured, man, I'd I'd like hide from the helicopter. Then if I if I had to end up paying for it, because they're you know they're going to take you to the hospital. <laughs> but right. I don't, it's a so dumb. We try to eliminate all those fears, and there's different different companies have different. Uh, you can uh, uh, you can buy insurance plans. Spot. I don't know if it still is is a thing, but just the spot. Uh, that's I, I don't have an inreach. I have one of the older. I have a spot device, but uh-huh. they have, they used to have a thing where you could pay a little bit extra. And it was a, it was like an insurance for a helicopter to, to, to help you out with it. If you needed a, if you needed a, you know, helicopter evacuation and stuff. And I don't have any real experience with those, but I have seen that. I know they're a thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to give our show sponsors some well-deserved love. Let's start with Scree Extreme Mountain Gear. High-performance hunting attire and gear. Scientifically tested camo patterns. Complete layering systems. And in my opinion, the finest merino wool products to keep you warm, dry, and comfortable. It's all backed by a great company. Some of my personal favorites of the in the Scree lineup are the hard scrabble pants uh, for early to mid-season. And then as it gets colder, I switch to the Kodiak pants for late season. The Bridger glassing mitts are like game changers, and I love the Nebo rain gear. Scree offers great packages on the website as bundles, like the elk bundle, that will completely outfit you for your favorite hunt. Oh, and my favorite part? You won't need to refinance your house to get outfitted. Try the starter bundle for less than 500 bucks. It's an insane deal. With the VIP sizing guarantee, you can exchange something that doesn't fit for free. I just had to do this for something that I got my wife. It was a little big, so I just sent it back. They covered the shipping both ways and exchanged it for the right size. So go to screegear.com and at checkout, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Phelps Game Calls, one thing that I love about companies that are born out of hunting is their story. Like Phelps Game Calls, the American success story that walks us through how something started small and grew into something big. 
like Phelps. He started this company kind of as a hobby in his garage in 2009. Now, a little over a decade later, Phelps is one of the premier hunting call companies on the planet for good reason. They're the most realistic calls on the market, and that is saying something. Check out the amp lineup. For predator calls like the three-pack POR123 or the fawn in distress, check those out. Turkey calls, get a diaphragm, a pot call, or a box call, and a complete line of waterfowl calls. Hit up the website, and at checkout, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Phelps Game Calls, get them close. The Elk Collective. The best investment for hunting success is what's between your ears. Having elk hunting knowledge is what separates those who succeed every once in a while against those who notch tags every year. There's a very fine line there, and there's a perfect amount of time for listening to this now to get through the entire course before September. Improve your chances with a virtual course of over 140 videos that cover things like how to get elk tags throughout the West, scouting and e-scouting, beginner to advanced elk calling, gear, fitness, nutrition, shooting processes, hunting scenarios, strategies, and tons more. They've got some very big names on this platform that give you their personal expertise as you go through the course. It's the best way to make you the best elk hunter as you get into the woods. So go to theelkcollective.com and use promo code THEWESTERNHUNTSMAN for $20 off. It's normally 89 bucks, so when you use my promo code, it's going to be the best $69 you've spent on elk hunting, and I guarantee you it's worth every penny. Check it out, guys. Hoffman Boots, let me give you guys a piece of advice from a dude with many miles on his feet. Never skimp on quality hunting boots. Hoffman Boots is a fourth-generation, family-owned company based in North Idaho. I've been sporting a pair of Hoffmans for close to a decade, particularly I like the Hoffman Explorer and the 8-inch. In my most humble opinion, again, Hoffman offers the most comfortable hunting boot that does the least amount of damage to my feet after several miles on the mountain. Very little break-in period on these boots, by the way. Uh, I took them right out of the box and went on a crazy elk hunt, not even a blister. For hunting, they have the Explorers and the Summit Boot offered in insulated and non-insulated. And ladies, check out the new women's Hoffman Explorer 400. They also carry lineman boots, winter pack boots, logging boots, and hiking boots. Get totally outfitted at HoffmanBoots.com and at checkout. As you know, it's coming. Use promo code, all caps lock, HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Last but not least, Tacticam. If you're interested in self-filming your hunts, whether for you know memories or making hunting content, check out the Tacticam products like the Spotter LR, Tacticam 5.0, and the film-through scope system, all of which are available at westernhuntsman.com, which helps support our fight against the anti-hunting movement. But my favorite is the Tacticam Reveal cell cams. I use these cell cams all over my property, and I'm like obsessed with monitoring the wildlife in real time with these cameras. They not only text me instantly when a buck or a bear is cruising through, my reveals make for excellent security systems. I know when the FedEx dude is delivering packages way down at the bottom of our driveway. And I also know if some knucklehead shows up to try to steal them. I know when someone's trespassing or if I have the kind of wildlife roaming around that I don't want, you know, like a coyote. And uh, I quickly react with my cat-like reflexes. Great for trappers, great for hunters, uh, security, anything. Guys, check it out at Tacticam.com because I don't have the reveals on my website right now. Uh, Let them know I sent you. Tacticam.com. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. 
Well, let's let's circle back to uh, because just I guess to summarize on that, I don't want I don't want anybody to worry about that either. I, I think it's just important to get people out and worry about that part later. Um, and so, but it is it is interesting to think about. And and uh, the, the best thing, guys listening, uh, is is to to try to do what you can to prevent that from happening. Because I imagine a Black Hawk helicopter is a few hundred bucks an hour or more to operate. Um, plus all the fees and everything, gas, and with these gas prices, hell, I'd, I'd just die. <laughs> I'd just leave myself in the forest. <laughs> uh, but let, let's get back to what uh, that, that article was saying where it, it seems like, you, you know, consistently across the, the West, the, the amount of calls for search and rescue teams being called out has uh, gone up in the last couple of years. Um, one of my suspicions is with with COVID, I, I feel like a lot more people are going into the woods. Uh, what, I don't feel like that. I know they are. I, I've seen it. And, and that's at least the case up here. And I imagine it's like that everywhere. But you said you had a philosophy about that that you wanted to talk about. And let's let's go there. I think uh, I think you definitely hit on it. I think I think a lot of that increase it's it's certainly cannot just be coincidence that it's tied to uh, the time when COVID rolled out and and you know the the big Disneyland stuff like that people were doing was just yeah. not attainable anymore. Um, you know I don't here in Colorado we have Rocky Mountain National Park. Well, Rocky Mountain National Park you can, it, it's been one of those parks you never needed a reservation system. You could just go there. Uh, and they they now have a reservation system in place that started just last year. So, yeah. uh, so I, I, I totally think that, that that's the case. And and those people that are going into the into the the, the increase in people that are going into the backcountry um, just through sheer numbers are going to bump up your search and rescue calls. But they're also people that, that, that probably haven't been doing it before. Like this is a new group that's going in there, mm-hmm. and they. They likely don't have or have not spent the time in in preparing for it or understanding the consequences. I see what I see the the ridiculous things people do in Rocky Mountain National Park to with elk. I mean, trying to get right up on bull elk in in in, in the in the rut and get photos and stuff, and it's it's just amazing that they that people aren't getting killed. I know. What have you seen that video where the dude is trying to get super close? The bull elk turns around and comes at him and he has to jump over that little fence to get in the corral thing. And yes. yeah, isn't that Rocky mountain national park? It's yeah, it's a town. I think it's a town near, it's near Estes park, which is kind of on the kind of the gateway to Rocky mountain national park on the front range over uh, by Boulder. It just blows um, my mind that, that people do that. And it's the same in Yellowstone. Yep. You know, these geeks get out and act like they're going to, they're going to pet a bison. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> what the hell's wrong with people? It just blows my mind. It's like natural selection or something taking place. Right. But that's what I think. I think, it's, I think that's part of it. I think it's the people that are getting out that are just, you know, they haven't been around it. They don't have a whole lot of common sense in dealing with the, the potential consequences of just doing stuff that, you know, I mean, how, you know, it's Colorado. How, how, good, good luck predicting the weather. Good, yeah. good luck, you know, with that. And so you don't bring, you don't bring a rain, don't bring rain gear um, for a, you know, a full day, a full day's outing. Well, it might rain and it's likely that it's going to rain. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, so I think I, I think that's part of it. They're just it's it's just they're not really prepared, you know, to, and they don't. Uh, to some degree, they probably just don't know what they don't know. If if they if they've not been raised in that, I mean, I grew up here. I grew up in a small town in the middle of Colorado, and I and I and yep. I, you know, but if but if and and so if you want to make me uncomfortable, yeah, you you pick me up by the scruff of the neck and drop me off in 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 downtown Dallas, you know, in a city. I am not going to be in my element there. <laughs> so I get flat out nervous. I have to go to Seattle every once in a while for work, and it's like I I get nervous driving. Like the the freeways have five freaking lanes. How do people navigate that? It's it's insane. Right. Um, I want to I want to touch on something you said. Uh, you you've kind of brought it up twice, and and I th- I think it's something that you know based on what you're talking about. Let's let's help some of these people that may not know. Um, rain. When we're talking about rain, you'd mentioned that one rescue that where the hunter's wife had had gotten uh the, you know she had gotten lost or or he couldn't find where he had left her whatever, and she was out for two nights. Um, I think a lot of people are going to hear that and, and think, well, what's the big deal? It was just rain in September. It's not like it's, you know, 20 degrees outside kind of thing. Um, but it is September in the high country. And so September in at, you know, 8, 10, 12,000 feet elevation in Colorado is a lot different than September at uh, 500 feet in California or Oregon or some, something like that, right? Yeah, totally. This isn't this isn't a, a lovely smelling you know spring shower at you know at an eighty degree yeah. temps. And, and um, can we talk about the impacts of of a driving rain and what that does to the body? Uh, if you have if you have something to offer on that, because I I kind of do, but I I want to hear somebody who actually knows what they're talking about if they have a take on it. Yeah, if you if you can't get dry, and she she didn't do it, didn't have a shelter. Um, did she have rain gear? She did have rain gear. Truly, in my opinion, that's the only reason why we found her alive. I don't think she would have survived if she would have just been in, in, uh, just a, you know, what, however many layers, but didn't have any kind of, didn't have any kind of rain gear Mm -hmm. because it, uh, it was, I want to say it was probably around 10,000 feet and, and, and I'm not kidding. It just drove rain, uh, and, I mean, it, you're just, it's, it may not get, it may not be getting below freezing at night, but it's going to be in the high thirties up there, you know, low forties. And that will just, that will, I mean, mentally and everything, it is, it is hard to get, get your head wrapped around how uh, debilitating that can be on your, on your body. That, what you just said, the, the, the mentality of it, uh, the, the mental effects, you know, picture, picture, if you will, folks, listen, like you're on a mountain, you're, you're 10,000 feet elevation, which like Mike was saying in September, you're, you're going to get close to freezing temperatures. And then when you're saturated in a driving rain that is just relentless and there's no relief from it and you're, you, you feel like you're just wet down to the bone and there might be a slight breeze. I guarantee you, you're cold. Um, and I think that that, takes a toll especially for somebody who has been separated from their party or their hunting partner and and they're out there alone they're in they're in a place they're not familiar with it's dark there's wild things everywhere it's pounding rain uh there's probably wind and and they they feel they have this this feeling of hopelessness that comes over them that is just compounded by the constant saturation of the rain and and i think that people maybe not 
they they don't give enough credit to the mental havoc that that could wreak on on a person when you're in that kind of scenario. What do you think? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, the the hopelessness. You get a storm coming in. That even during the day, if you had some visual references, if you if you had maybe done some terrain association or something, and you're like, okay, I know I know I need to head towards this this mountain range or this direction. Well, when it's when it's socked in and, and raining, you're not going to be able to see anything. Yeah. Um, There's no moonlight, further, no stars. Right. And and furthermore, after that first night of being rained on and wet all night, you're not moving the next day. Yeah. Like that. I think you're going to be at the point of, 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 of to, to a large degree defeated, uh, at least in this case, um, you know, there's a point, there's a window you have, you have, you have a, a window when your wits are about you, when things start to go bad, where critical, critical decisions need to be made. And if you exceed that, if you, if you do nothing and you get beyond that, well, now you're not, you're mentally, you're not operating on point. You're not operating at the same level you were pre- previously. And so the, therefore the decisions you make just may not be, uh, are, are, are largely, it's, you're going to, it's going to be luck. You're going to have to then now be relying on, on, on luck rather than, rather than, you know, some sort of, some sort of skill or, yeah. or, your training or whatever and it's in the end and you exceed that window and that window gets real small when you get cold and wet you don't have you know if it's a, if it's not raining and you you have to spend a night out even in even in colorado up high without shelter you'll be fine and when it warms up the next day like yeah maybe in the middle of the night you're going to be shivering pretty bad and on the on the threshold of hypothermia but once it warms up or the, the sun comes up you know there's there's hope well, that doesn't exist when you sit through, you know, 20, 20 some odd hours of, of, of rain. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it just becomes, is you know, not when this stops, it becomes, this is never going to stop. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. It, and that's, that's the hopelessness that you're talking about. That, that feeling that the rain is never going away and there's no getting out of this scenario. Do you have, do you have advice or, or like a recommendation for people to kind of help build up that mental stamina were they were they in that event um i and and i think we 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 do need to get into talking about what kind of essential gear people are carrying and all that kind of stuff but um on on top of that is is there advice you could offer to to help build that mental stamina so so that you maybe it takes longer to get to that point of hopeless hopelessness in somebody's mind that that because i i think that that's that's uh that's how people die. I, I, th- I think that that's what happens is, is the, the mental hopelessness takes over and, and they just kind of give up. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And I've, it's interesting. I've kind of got a little bit fascinated in a little bit of a fascination with like just mental strength and how, how do you improve it? And you, you, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've listened to, you know, you look at Cam Haynes and some, some of these guys that are just, you know, they do these, they do things that are, you know, so difficult. Yeah. Um, I think, and I truly think to, and this is just, this is just my opinion. And, and, you know, again, it's stuff that I've read and and watched on, uh, from other people, but, uh, the, the term that really struck home with me is, is, is you, it doesn't happen during the crisis. It's going to happen. You need to develop that. You, it's, it's, it's honing the blade and you need to, you need to be honing that blade all season long. And the term that I've heard is getting, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. Um, 
get you, you have to if you if you experience you know go go camping in just a and just bring a bivy sack when the weather's good in some sort of a controlled environment but put your you can kind of you don't have to it's not an all or nothing you you can really sort of wean yourself into that uh into that if you know there's a lot of people that totally get like i go i and i know you do as well i, I backpack and i do it alone i go out into the and there's some people who are like i don't know I don't know how you you can be so comfortable in your own head um, for, for for that amount of time out there just by yourself. Well, I didn't I didn't come out of the womb that way. I, I you know, but I part of it was bred out of necessity. But there's you can just go car camping for a night, and hey, if it's too much for you to handle, you can get back in the car and leave. Yep. It doesn't have to be a of you know a you know getting dropped off or way out in the middle of nowhere and okay it's all it doesn't have to be an episode of reality tv where like you're saying dropped off in in the middle of nowhere with nothing on your back is what you're saying yeah Yeah, it's it's and it and you can accomplish so much you can test gear you can see you can see hey you know man that type of mountain house does not work for me (laughs) you know it's it's all (laughs) no mountain house works for me (laughs) right right so the, so the abilities, the things you can gain from doing that, from taking some of that time in off season, in, in addition to the physical fitness, you know, being physically fit and, uh, and, and kind of just testing yourself in inc- increments, you know, it will build that strength so that, so that when you are in that situation and you get separated and you're wet before you get into crisis mode, you can, you can start coming up with a plan, knowing what's going to happen. No, I, I, I can, I can, I know as time progresses and I'm unable to dry, get dry, I'm only going to make worse decisions. So while I'm still yeah. with it, to build build some success into myself, I need to either try to get into a tree well, get someplace where I can not at least, I may not be able to get dry, but I can keep getting wetter. So, mm-hmm. and just try to set myself up for, to, to minimize, uh, to minimize things. Um, so. Mike, I, I love, I love how you explain that. And I, I've never... I've never heard it put that way, um, and I, I've never really thought about it that way. But you're you're exactly right. Backing up to what you were saying, for somebody who has never done it before, um, starting out with like a car camp trip. Car camp trips are are a little trickier than people think they are, uh, and and I recommend doing it while you're young because sleeping in your truck when you're my age uh, makes for a sore next day, and you know. But it it didn't used to. It didn't used to. But I, I love that concept where, where to kind of build, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. As somebody who's never camped before, going out on into the National Forest somewhere and finding a flat spot to park their car and, and maybe camp there or, or pitch a tent is going to be, I believe, substantially more difficult than they give it credit for prior to them doing it. And, and then use it as a stepping stone. So, okay, we're car camping. And then the next step is maybe go on a one-night back backcountry trip or, you know, whatever the case is, and, and maybe do it with friends the first time. Uh, and then this next time, do it alone. And then the next time, go further and go maybe for two nights kind of thing. So, now, I, I, I like that concept. I think I think a lot of people could benefit from that. I've done it even just even recently, and I've and I've... I mean, I wouldn't say I'm I'm I, I'm a a master in the backcountry by any stretch, but it's it had been uh, I kind of recently I've been experimenting. I went to a floorless shelter, and uh, but I hadn't had it out in in uh, in the snow. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, believe me, I, the first time I did that, I wasn't going to you know, strap on my skis and tr- head out and you know, go for it. Sure. I, I drove up and I pitched it and kind of got a feel for how I could, how I would set it up and, and just camped not very far at all from my vehicle. But what was able to kind of get a feel for, okay, was, you know, how is it to stake this thing out in snow? Like, that's not something I've done before. You stay, did you say you staked a tent? Yeah, it's just a floorless. I got a, I have a, a seek outside floorless shelter and I use it in the summer. Uh-huh. I use it for, I use it for everything, but I know, uh, I, I wanted to, to see what it was all about to, to do in the winter. And I, I learned quite a bit from it, but, uh, you know, staking them out when you, when you end up having to tie the, tie it to, to, tying it to what trees are around and tying yeah. rocks to the, to the guy lines and burying them in the snow. Cause you can't get to the ground. And then my, uh, ground oddly enough, because I'm cheap my ground cloth is a piece of Tyvek roof roofing material. All that stuff is great, uh, man. Yeah. But on snow, it is slick. It is. So as I <laughs> yes. get there and warmed and warmed the snow up underneath and then it froze, you know, it I kind of melted it and then it, it refroze. It it moved a lot. It, I would find myself, my my myself and my pad, you know, and and ground cloth had parted company several times through the through the course of the night because you just it would just slide around. So oh, just a few. It's like, huh, uh, you know, that that you wouldn't know. Um, but again, I you know when I decided to go do that, I wasn't going to go ski, you know, three, four, five miles into the backcountry and then take a crack at it. I, I thought I'm going to. I'm just going to do this close first to see how it goes. And if it's, you know, falls apart on me, I can get back in my car and go home. Yeah. Yeah. Good thinking. I like it. It's training. It's training. I love it. Yeah. Huh. What, what do you see in, in your experience, Mike, what are some of the biggest mistakes that, and this doesn't need to pertain to hunting itself, but anybody backpacking in overnight, um, that are causing, I guess, concern for you or raise an eyebrow. Like when you, when you hear somebody saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going into the back country and this is what I'm taking. This is what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what, what are some mistakes people make that, that kind of get them into trouble? Uh, largely it's the, it's the preparation and like the, 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 uh, it's, it gives the impression that they're not, they don't really have a plan. They're not taking it very serious and they really don't have a plan for things going wrong. Mm-hmm. I've climbed a good handful of 14,000 foot peaks here in the state. And it is well known that you don't want to be on a summit, you know, at, at new, anywhere around noon. You don't want to be up there anywhere close to noon or later because of just, we get in the summer, we get afternoon thunders, electrical storms and thunderstorms and, and rain. Yeah. Um, we will, we'll start out, you know, just, you know, at, at early, early in the morning and we want to be, you know, off the summit and hiking out by, you know, 11 ish. And, and I still, as I've hiked out and I see these people with, you know, a Nalgene of water shorts and sneakers on their way up. And I'm like, man, it's amazing. We're not called out constantly. I'm, I'm, I'm I see that I am floored that we are not called out constantly. So I think, I think it's just a, a, they just don't look at, at, uh, it's very short sighted. They see, I'm going to hit the summit. I'm going to get off, but they didn't, they didn't, they they didn't pay attention to the weather. They either don't believe it's a thing or they don't believe it's, it's risky. I've had my ice axes humming in my hand from electricity being very, very close. And that is a horrible feeling. Yeah. 
There's nothing huh. worse than that. I I was knocked to the ground by a uh, by lightning at one point when I was standing on the bank of a, a lake once, and it's like what you said. These storms in the mountains can can come out of nowhere. They they won't be they won't show up on your little weather app on your phone. They won't, you know, just, you won't know about it. They just all of a sudden form, they come in fast, they come in hard, and they come in strong, and all of a sudden they're gone. Um, and, and the lightning can be pretty intense. Yeah, completely. Uh, and it, it, and I'm not saying that you have to, if you're going on a, you know, a, a, a four or five hour, you're going to go peak bag and that you need to, you need to be fully rucked out and, you know, have, but Hey, throw, throw, if you're going to hike in shorts, throw a raincoat in there and wear good footwear. Um, yeah, just, you know, maybe bring a first aid kit, like just have a plan for if, if you get held up, if something happens, but it's like, they're, they're, they're on the, it's like the ultralight, you know, everybody's ultralight until something bad happens. And then they're like, man, I wish I had, you know, I know, I know. So, so, you know, but they just, they just don't have that mindset of preparing for something to preparing for blowing an ankle out or, or, you know, whatever the case may be, there's just not much prep in there. So, uh, you know, predicting the weather, like you can't, you cannot in Colorado, at least you can't predict it. Um, you might get lucky. The only thing you can predict is it's, it's going to change. And, and, and the, the, you know, in the summer, it's very, the rainstorms that come in in the afternoon are, are fairly predictable. But, uh, if I'm going day hunting, like my personal loadout, if I'm just going to go day hunting or go turkey hunting, that's relatively close to home. I don't, I don't bring the full Gore-Tex pro, you know, um, Sitka gear with me, but I bring a, a, a light rain jacket because I know I'm just not that far out mm-hmm. and I can, in that one day span, I might have a pretty reasonable chance of success with a, with a, a rain prediction. But if I'm backpacking in, if I'm going to go backpack in for three or four days, yeah, that yeah, may, maybe that weather said you know, it's going to be great. But in within that three or four days, that can drastically change. Yeah, for sure. What is there essential gear that when you're going in for for more than a night? Um, that you recommend, you know, you talked about a first aid kit and obviously some rain gear. What are we missing? Yeah, I, uh, man, I, I, it's interesting. Cause I, I, I try, I'm always trying to, I, I tweak my gear a lot and I'm always really trying to have that strike that balance between, between, you know, carrying too much stuff. That's just a little bit ridiculous and yet, yet not carrying enough. And I, and I, mm-hmm. And I also want to be somewhat redundant. So if I'm go, if anytime I'm going overnight, you know, I bring two headlamps, you know, because I don't want to have to be, you know, if you're, it's great. I got a, you got extra batteries. Well, you're not kept, you're not getting the big picture here. If your headlights dead, good luck getting those batteries out and new yeah. ones in there. It's dark. <laughs> That's funny. So, I, I, I carry two headlamps even when I'm just out day hiking or, or out on a day hunt, just because I'm, I'm worried like, man, if I, if I sauce an elk at night and I have to spend the night, I, I'm gonna probably lose one of my headlamps, or the batteries are gonna die, and or, or right. whatever. It's just I just like having two. I yeah. Yeah. So there's certain things that I'm willing to to okay, maybe I'm not gonna bring this, and then there's other things like now nah, this is this is like my go-to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a there's a gazillion. I mean, you can go on on go, the Google machine, and you can find a ton of like the ten essentials and and what all. Oh uh, sure. Know, yeah. What all you need to bring? Hunting specific for for me, I carry. 
you know, I've, I've dropped my pack where all my, where the goods are. Like that's where I have my possibles pouch. I have, you know, my, my food, uh, but I've dropped my pack and, and, and went out after something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in my vinyl harness, I have, you know, it isn't going to be pretty, but I got enough to survive. I've got carries. I carry, uh, I've, I've started messing with that pyro putty. I used to kind of make my own fire starter out of like sawdust and paraffin wax and whatnot. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, then I got my hands on some of that pyro putty and I became a, a tremendous fan of that. Does it burn so, long enough to get some kind of damp, almost wet kind of twigs going? I haven't got to try it in really, really, uh, soaking wet conditions yet. I'm still fairly new, uh, with it. They sell different, uh, they have three different kind of models you can buy but i believe it's three four different temperature ranges that you're out in so they've got some that's for really really cold that generally burns oh yeah i I just pulled up their website yeah they kind of tailor they kind of tailor it and they have small canisters of it so i have a can a little can of that and a lighter in my vino harness with a a small petzel petzel uh real small headlamp and 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 a a knife and that's 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 perfect so when i'm even without my pack, I have enough. I have a. Uh, I, I have enough to at least I could get a fire going. Worst case scenario, I can't find my back because I've lost my backpack. Yeah, I have uh, too. <laughs> I have too. Yeah, that is that is that is no fun at all. So you, you got me way into this pyro putty stuff, man. I'm I'm looking at they yeah. they have the ultra lightweight, the all natural, cold weather, and the warm weather stuff. And I feel like I'm the kind of guy that will probably have all four of them in my pack and, and uh, maybe stick one in a bino cut. I love it. I'm glad you said that. I'm going to buy some. Yeah, that stuff has been – I've been kind of messing with that just because it's easier. It, it, the, the paraffin stuff that I was making before worked good, but it was a lot more bulky. Mm-hmm. And uh, you had to pluck bags that would sort of come apart. Um, and uh, the cabinet-making shop where I used to go pilfer my sawdust has gone out of business. So the oh, end up yeah. like – so, I geek out on that stuff, Mike. I, like when I'm even if I'm at the grocery store and there's some weird new, you know, uh, fire starter thing they got that some product, I, I it, it never fails. I'll buy it. I don't care yeah. where I'm at. So I'm kind of a right. yeah. To see how it works. So this stuff, I've had I've had some good luck with the uh, uh, with this stuff. So uh, you know that's kind of you know it's really 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 comes down to your comfort level. You yeah. know what 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 you're willing to. Uh, what you're willing to tolerate it's very well it's very uh, season dependent what you need to prepare for if you're hunting late a late rifle season versus you know a worst case scenario in a late rifle season is a far, is far different than a worst case scenario in archery elk season oh so sure that, for sure so oh, okay so uh i i want to go a little bit back to more of the beginning of the conversation at that where you said so I, I so I sit here and I kind of take notes and so I apologize if we're if we're kind of bouncing around here but you mentioned something about reliance on technology. Um, I'd love to hear your take on that. I think that's a big one. It's it's funny because like a lot of the guys on search and rescue, I'm, I think they call me a relic when I'm when I'm not around because <laughs> you know, there's so many and these are and I will say they are phenomenal. Some of the stuff, like a lot of guys are really using Gaia, this app, a phone app that's a, nat- land, a navigation app. And land nav is kind of my my jam. I, I, I think it's undervalued. Um, I, I am a map. I use a GPS. I'm, 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 but I also, the, the ability to transpose your location from what you see on your GPS and pick a point on a map and say, I am right here is, is uh, 
when it's you can't put a value it's a on lost it. art too yeah it is and no one not just for safety but in knowing when i'm hunting knowing okay i know how to get ahead of this I, I know where i might be able to get ahead of this this animal or i know you know i based on the terrain i know that i know the best way for me to, to get through there and what you can see on a snapshot on a gps or even through google earth is uh it, it always looks harder when you, when you're staring at it in real time than when you looked at it on uh, on a satellite image mm-hmm. so but uh you know every, there's a reliance on phones you know on on, on uh, and i love onyx i you know i don't have a i don't have experience with gaia uh, but the people i talked to they, they said it's just a it's a fantastic app um it's great resolution but the um, i keep going back to it's on a phone like phone, I can I, I can drop my phone and it will not work. It, it, there's a chance that it might not work again. You know, not to mention how easy is it to lose a phone? Yeah, you, you know, yeah. You, you think you think about it. I remember one time I I set my phone down. I was taking a picture. This was back before you can you had Onyx. I I I set it down on a rock, packed up all my stuff, loaded up, walked a mile before I realized I'd left my phone sitting there, and wa- had to walk all the way back. Um, I. I am. I think it's because of the Marines. I'm. I'm really good at land nav. I'm. I'm like you. I can I really like it. I need to brush up on a lot of it. But I. It's. It's given me this kind of built-in sense of how to get back to certain places if I've been there. Um, and and so I was able to find my phone. How many people are going to go out? They. They've never been in the woods before and not know where they left their phone. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent here. Um. They're so easy to lose, I guess, is the point. They're just these little slim things that you can lose them and break them. And, okay, back to you, yeah, Mike. <laughs> I took well, it so You're exactly right. I mean, you can – and then when you find that you don't have your phone, you know, you remembered when it was out of your pocket and you took a picture. But, it, it you know, could it have fallen out of your pocket at some mm-hmm. point in – I mean, there's a lot of op. The, the other issues is is weatherproofing. You know how how waterproof really is it? Uh, if you if you're out in a torrential downpour, if you have to cross the stream, yeah, yeah. If you're putting it in and out of a dry bag, I'm not going to do that. That to me is a waste of time. I'm not going to do that. That's just I'm not going to stuff the thing in a dry bag and then every time I need to reference it, go digging through my pack um, and and trying to find it. Uh, I use I use an older model. Um, Garmin 62 CSX uh, GPS. It works good. It's got a. It's got okay mapping. Um, the 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 resolution in those is, is not. It's generally about double what you see on a map. So don't don't uh, hang your hat on those on those topographical lines. You know, being an accurate reference of when you're standing there, because generally they're a lot further apart on that device. But I basically use it for just a couple of things. I'll mark my backpack when I when I set it down. Um, uh, you know, getting ready to go on a stock or my boots. I end up taking my boots off. Uh, I always, before I even get going, I mark where my car is parked and I mark where my camp is uh, on that thing. And then I really don't need to reference it all that much, you know, unless I want to. But I know that if it gets dark and I can't really, you know, I'm gone several ridges, I, at least I can, at least I can bring up where my camp is um, and navigate back to it. Sure. Um, and my backup to that is, uh, you know, I have a, I recently got a, a watch that has a, a GPS in it, but before I had um, that, I had a my my watch was a Sunto and it had an altimeter, and I would just remember, okay, well if I I know what out what elevation my camp is on, and if I need to, I can and I know what direction it's in in the dark. I can just I can just kind of traverse this elevation, and I'm bound to you know um, run to run it. Yeah, um, that's and, brilliant. And done, by the way, 
Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I heard it somewhere. I don't know where, uh, but I've actually done it. And it, it uh, you know, there's a, a, just a handful of things and, and a lot of watches you can get that are, you know, when it's just has a, uh, an altimeter, it's not chewing through your battery very much. I mean, I don't run around with my wristwatch, my GPS turned on. I do the same thing. I'll mark my camp. Basically, that's about all I worry about. Uh, I figure worst case, I can use my watch to get back to camp. And from there on, you know, I'll be good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you got to keep that in mind. It's same with the phone. You know, you can't replace the batteries in a phone. I can't replace the batteries in my watch. So if I'm trying to run one of those navigation apps, it's going to chew through that stuff. Uh, whereas my GPS is AA batteries, the same batteries that I can use in my headlamp. So uh, huh. it gives me the to keep that thing running and i've and i've come i used to do a lot of canyoneering and i dropped that thing down in into uh off of the first rappel into blue john canyon where uh years ago aaron ralston ended up ended up having to cut his hand off to get out uh, he got stuck in there i was doing that canyon and on the first rappel i dropped my my and my spot of course they were hooked together they were both clipped in and they i bumped them when i was throwing oh, my and they both dropped down in there and both landed in water and i'm like well that's not that's not good. Uh, but I ended up rappelling down in there, pulled them both out of water. They were neither one. They weren't damaged at all. They were, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have a life proof case cause I actually need to use my phone and have access to it. <laughs> but I guarantee that I chucked it down off. That was about a 45 foot, you know, rappel into the rocks and water. It wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been very useful. If I yeah. went down and got it. It, it, it depends. It's all about time too. Like I, I use one of those otter box covers or whatever on my phone. And I've dropped it in the river while I'm fishing, but I, I, I grab it really fast and it's fine. Now, if I dropped it and came back an hour later, it'd be screwed, it, you know? Right. So it's just, it's, it's water resistant is totally different than waterproof. Yes. And, um, now I totally agree with, uh, the, the technology is great. I love Onyx. I, I love my cool. Onyx app and, and you, you know, the technology surrounding that I love, I love having my phone to take pictures uh, and, and mark my location. And I even, you know, sometimes I don't know if I want people to know this or not, but I, I take random notes in my phone. Um, you know, Hey, I just got a bull respond. Here's the temperature. Here's what the cloud cover looks like. This is, you know, just things like that barometric stuff like that. So I can maybe see if after years of doing this, I could develop some kind of pattern as to what makes elk respond or, or something like that. Does that make sense? And so totally. all of that is great. And I, I love the phone for that. But I 110% agree with you that, that relying on the technology as, as your only safeguard is, is a wild mistake. And, and understanding some basic land navigation and map reading and, and knowing how to use a compass, um, it, which, by the way, on, on, on that subject, using a compass or, or uh, map reading, do you have any recommendations in terms of resources like YouTube channels or something that people could jump on and learn about that on their own without without having to join the search and rescue or something? Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. In fact, uh, we mentioned Kafaru uh, and Aaron Snyder. I think he's got some he's, – he uh, seems to be really, really good. Uh, well accomplished and i imagine it probably comes from his military background uh at, yeah. at nav and he's got some uh phenomenal youtube content on it uh and it's interesting as you get you know there uh, we always use the utm grid uh which is a, a grid system on the maps here uh because it it essentially divides the the world up into thousand meter squares 
and then you get that grid and the more numbers you have the smaller you can make that grid down to a down to a i mean i, I imagine if you extrapolate it out down to a one meter square sure. you can very easily with a simple it's a clear plastic overlay on a map you can take your latin long on your gps and you can throw that overlay on a map and 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 run those numbers and I mean, pinpoint within very easily within 100 meters, but really without breaking too much of a sweat, you can get it even down to less than that as to exactly where you are on that on that map. And nothing gives you a bigger picture when you can actually step back and say, okay, this is where I'm standing and and this is the direction that I'm facing. And now I can really see what's beyond, you know, the ridge that I'm looking at or whatever the case. Huh. Uh, So Snyder's got some that dude's such an animal is did. Is he moving to Wyoming? Did I hear something about him moving to Wyoming? Yeah, that's what that's what I hear. They're um they're gonna be moving the shop up. I think I think the last I heard on his on his podcast, uh, he was talking about late I think late summer. Um they're 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 it's a they got they're getting a much larger facility and I think they're oh, gonna I think gotcha. I think big picture, and again I don't uh, uh I don't know. I don't speak, you know, I don't call up and chat, but uh, uh, I think big picture, they're talking about running some training out of there. That's going to cover, they're going to do some land navigation clinics. They're going to do some bow tuning clinics. Ah, that'd be uh, awesome. Mike, let's go and, to the land nav one, man. I know, right. That'd be we'll super meet up. cool. Yeah. I'd love it. I, because he's getting inundated with, with probably people that are interested. I, I probably, especially in bow tuning, cause he's, he's really good at it. And yeah. You know, people don't know how to, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not that good at it either. So Dude, uh, I, I, would, I am disciplined enough to know that I'm not disciplined enough to touch my bow. Uh, I take it in. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to look into that. Uh, I'm going to check that out. See if Aaron's posted something about that and talked about, it. I, have, I actually haven't caught his podcast for, I don't know, a couple months now. Um, just cause I haven't been driving much lately. So anyway, that's a whole other subject but so mike i i I know we're we're running a little long here i apologize um what is there anything we missed that you feel is pertinent or important for specifically backcountry hunters to know when they're going out in the backcountry to prevent the need for a search and rescue team coming out to to try and find them i think uh i think you know prevention kind of comes with the planning of, of your, of your hunt, you know, have the knowledge that, yeah, yeah, you can look at a weather forecast, but if you're going to be out there for more than a couple of days, realize that that, that that can definitely, can definitely change. If you're just going out for a, for a, a day hunt, you know, that's a lot, you're going to be a lot more accurate than, you know, for example, a, a base camp or some extended backpacking trip. Yeah. Um, the, the advantages that are out now with, I mean, and I, 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 everybody has an inReach. Like those are so uh, common, which is, you know, man, that really speeds things up because you, you got to, you know, just realize there's just not going to be cell service. I, I rarely have cell service when I'm, when I'm out hunting. So having yeah, uh never. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, like as a youngster hunting, do you remember the, the buckskin network? Yeah. <laughs> they used to be on the radio. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day going, yeah, oh, gone. Man, the- I forgot about that. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, so you got, you know, you have personal locator beacons and the ability to get out. Uh, the other thing is, is given, uh, give people a time frame. If you have people on the outside family or whatever, give them kind of an idea 
of, of where you're going and give them a time frame of, of when you should be out. And, and most, this is, I don't want to say most importantly, but I, but I've, we've had this happen several times. If you tag out early or for whatever reason you come out uh, and you miss one of those checks, that's a huge problem for us. Cause we've been deployed. Our whole team's been out looking for somebody that was in a bar or that was, you know, they'd come out and they missed They didn't check in or, and say they were coming out. Oh, and so, yeah scandalous sons of bitches they're going to the bar and and just didn't want their wife to know they were off the mountain or something huh right so instead of uh-huh. shooting them a call we're, we're back at camp or everything's okay they just they go dark and you know people start to start to worry so if you're you know if if you're coming out for any reason if you're if you just need to go get food or you have a mechanical you, you need to go get your a new string because you jacked up your bow or whatever you know hey just shoot just shoot that call out and let people know uh, on the outside, just in case you, you, you know, you, you can't make that check-in if you have a regular scheduled check-in or, or, uh, whatever the case may be, um, that stuff can really help out a, a search and rescue team from getting pulled or if they're already on a mission to be splitting off to come, come, uh, deal with that. Yeah. That's great advice. And, and I think the, one of the other big things that, uh, I mean, it is so easy to get sucked into some of the I mean, with YouTube and, and all this stuff, it, man, it, it just, it looks so cool. It, it, it is so easy to get pulled into, I want to, I want to get into these high mountain basins and hunt mule deer or whatever. But I think you just, you really need to be self-aware and it's not that you're never going to get there. You just might need to, you might need to work up to it. Pay attention to your fitness, you know, realize that, like we said earlier, when you see something on Onyx or Google earth or, Man, when you're on the ground staring at that, it's going to look a lot different. It is going to what you think what looks like is super doable on a computer might be a whole nother ball game when you it, have to take yeah dude or you know I, I can't stress that point enough, Mike. It, it is always different. It's never it's never just like oh yep this is exactly how it looked on Onyx when I was sitting in my uh, you know living room. Yeah, uh, it, it's never the same. Um, that's. Yeah. Somebody was, I, I was talking to somebody about what you were just seeing with, and it, they had a really good way to put that. Like backcountry elk hunting or going into the high country or backcountry solo for a mule deer, um, you know, kind of stuff. You know, that's that's like kind of, like you said, it's not that it's not doable for, for somebody, but it is more of an expert level hunt. You know what I mean? Yeah, your varsity level. Your varsity level, and and you don't you don't take, and and I'm not trying to be offensive at this, but you don't take a little league, uh, you know, a t-ball player and throw them into the into the big leagues, right? And it's it's not that far of a distance to get there because you could become that. But if you're somebody who's never spent time in the mountains, and and maybe you know the the only kind of nature you've experienced is at the the city park or something, uh, don't go throwing yourself into a 10,000 foot elevation, um, backcountry hunt by yourself, uh, and, and think that everything's going to be okay because there's a lot of nuances and, and little things that you need to learn as a mountaineer and, 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 and a, as a woodsman, uh, to go in there. And so I'm really glad you brought that up. I think, I think that could be worth a, a podcast in itself as to how to get to that point, because it's not that big of a hurdle. Uh, but it, it, there is a hurdle. And I, I think that, uh, you nailed it earlier, Mike, when you when you talked about the just the the lack of experience somewhere like the Colorado high country or or you know and that that's gonna that's gonna translate to the the deserts of Arizona 
or or the the high country here in Idaho or the you know what we call the jungles up here in North Idaho. It's it's all different terrain. Um, like for me, I, I'll, I'll tell you this as just for for folks listening to 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 think. I don't want you to think that. Um, I wouldn't be humbled. <laughs> I personally would not go into the backcountry of the deserts down in Arizona or New Mexico uh, by myself. I, I would want somebody who has done that. And I, I grew up in the desert, and so it's it's not it's just not something I have a lot of experience in in terms of of backcountry hunting. And so, um, I, for, you know, for me, I, I, I'm a guy who's who's got a lot of experience hunting. I wouldn't do that without somebody that knows the landscape a little bit better than kind of show me the ropes and, and vice versa. I, I think uh, I have, I have friends down in, in those areas that wouldn't want to come up here and go into the back, back country without me. Um, and, and it's, it's just common sense. Do you have anything to add to that, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you a hundred percent. I think it's, it's, uh, you know, mentorship is probably undervalued and I don't know how easy, I mean, I kind of, I think woodsmanship, I had to, I had to learn how to hunt on my own, but, but mm-hmm. the, the being out in the woods wasn't the problem. It was trying to figure out how to find elk. That was the, sure. that was the problem. <laughs> I but, still struggle with that. Right. But, but it's, it's, it, you know, if you can get into, you know, it seems like there's not many classes. I mean, if there was, I don't know, I don't just don't know if there's any kind of, but anymore, there's so much stuff on YouTube. And I think it's very, very much like we touched on earlier. Go do, go, you know, car camp, go, uh, go do a, 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 a with, pick a, get a buddy and go do a single overnight, you know, camp. And you can, you can build the experience on that without having to use your hunting season mm-hmm. time to do it. But you have to, you have to, you know, you really have to have that self-awareness and, and understand that, man, if it takes all the gas in your tank to get back to where the hunting starts, that's where the work starts. And if one little thing can, one little thing like, well, there was supposed to be water here, you know, that, that is a game ender. You know, yep. you, do you have the ability, do you know how to try to, where are you going to go? You know, what's the plan now? If you've used a hundred percent of your, your capability just to get to that point. And then even if you're in the idea is to be successful, how are you going to get an animal out? You know what that, what's that going to look like? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So, it's just, it's just really looking at, looking at the, the overall picture and you look at these guys that are killing it. You look at these guys that are just man, straight up killers in the back country. They, they hike in so far and, and, uh, are, are always successful. It's not easy for them either. You know, you really, really dig into it and you look at how some of these guys have gotten, gotten sick back there, gotten altitude sickness, you know, uh, there's a, there's a dozen different things that can happen, but by and large, you know, you're going to just see the, you you, you kind of see what you want to see and you see the, the, the YouTube shot and, and, and uh, they might mention that stuff, but the focus is the, the beauty of the country and, and uh, knocking down a trophy mule deer or elk. And then, yeah. and then it's magically out in the, in the coolers of the truck. They, <laughs> you know, they, they don't talk about, they don't talk about the, the stepping on a ground nest of a bunch of yellow jackets and, and the repercussions of that in the back country and the trouble that can get you into, you know? Right. Right. And, you know, you and you people here, uh, kind of where I live, yeah, there's a whole nother, we've had, we've had missions because of stock where somebody get chucked off a horse, mm-hmm. you know, yep. that's something to pay attention to. Like, you, you, you know, you, you can get, you can get creamed on paralyzed off a horse. It, yeah. Just, just riding into your camp. So, yeah. 
Well, it just have awareness to know what you're getting into. I think this is all great stuff. I Mike, you're a wealth of information, man. Um, I, I feel like we can keep this going for a long time and maybe we ought to do it again just because I, I feel like we just kind of touched the foundational stuff and, and maybe there's some deeper level stuff we can get into. Um, so if, if you're up for it, maybe, maybe doing this again, yeah. um, because I, yeah, I mean, you've, you've just got the experience. You've got uh, you, you, a lifetime living in the, in the rugged Colorado, you know, rifle Colorado area. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy stuff over there. Um, and it's a great place to be, uh, other than the new danger in Newcastle up the road from you named Guy <laughs> driving a silver Dodge Ram, nothing but trouble. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it's, it's just a good conversation. I think, I think this is the kind of stuff that can help people, um, you know, to, to, maybe it'll save somebody. Maybe it'll, it'll make somebody more prepared when they go out and they'll think of some of the things that you talked about. Uh, and be prepared for those kind of situations. So, uh, and again, I apologize that we had to record while I'm, um, you know, kind of laid up with this cold here. I feel like it, it you know, what's funny. It makes my mind, um, not work right or something. Like I can't, my train of thought gets lost easy. Does that make sense? I, I don't know what the deal is with this cold, but I, I just feel dumber than I, I mean, I'm dumb anyway, but I feel dumber with the cold. <laughs> so yeah, that, uh, that, Oop, did I lose you? No, no, I'm here. Oh, okay. Um, well, Mike, thanks again. I appreciate you you doing this, and uh, I hope that uh, you keep in touch with the British Columbia hunt coming up, the bear hunt and the turkey hunt. And obviously, we're going to stay in touch for September. And, and let's jump on, a, on another podcast again and go into some deeper stuff. And, and uh, Mike Cooper from Rifle Colorado, the Rifle Police Department, and the... See if I can get this Garfield County search and rescue. Is that right? That's right. Right on, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Mike. Yeah, thank you. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.